time across all of the different churches in, in the Vintage Network is Ted Chen. Uh, you might know Ted uh, from his face on the news, uh, but actually we love him particularly because he is a wonderful uh, expositor of God's Word, and he's going to be launching us uh, into a new series this morning um, on the book of Exodus and the story of Moses. So should we give Ted a big round of applause as he comes? All right. Thank you so much, Ben. It so great to be back with you, to see these familiar faces. Uh, I got to work with Ben the first, <clears throat> excuse me, few months that he came to be part of Vintage, and I just love so much being able to visit you occasionally as well. And for those of you who don't know me, I've been part of the Vintage Network, Vintage Santa Monica, for more than 10 years now. I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I have to confess up front, I am a San Francisco Giants fan. So, that means that, like many of you, I'm guessing, are in mourning today. <laughs> I know what that feels like. Uh, ben, aren't you kind of in mourning? Wasn't your team losing? Winning. Oh, you're winning. I'm sorry. Ben isn't in mourning yet. Uh, but as part of my job, I actually got to cover the first two games of the Giants-Dodgers series in San Francisco. So that was a lot of fun, but there were those moments where I had to grit my teeth and put on my best professional smile as I was interviewing screaming Do uh, Dodger fans. Uh, but that wasn't the most difficult part. The, actually, the most difficult part when, uh, was when I actually was inside the game, and I got to take off work for a bit. I got to be in there as a fan in the stands and wear my Giants gear. Uh, I couldn't wear it on the air as a Los Angeles TV reporter. That would not go very well. But uh, I was enjoying the rivalry, enjoying the stands. We were chanting things like, uh, chanting things like, let's go Giants, let's go Giants, typical baseball stuff. But one moment that gave me a little bit of pause was when the uh, crowd started chanting, beat LA, beat LA. And I had this identity conflict. <laughs> momentarily because I, I, I live in LA. I've lived in LA for the last 25 years. I'm an Angelino. I, I love this city. I love Southern California. I love the diversity. I love all the things that happen here. So I kind of had, had a choice to make. Was I going to stand there and defend my city and, and not join in? Or was I gonna sell out? And what happened? I sold out. <laughs> I started joining in the chant, beat LA, beat LA, all the while feeling this, this twinge of guilt inside because I knew at heart I was an Angelino. And I tell that story uh, because we all, on a day-to-day -day basis, make choices, both little and big, that help define who we are. We make these choices, and in the aggregate, these choices affect the course of our lives. And we often have to make those choices in situations where there is a lot of peer pressure, where the most convenient thing to do, the easiest thing to do may seem obvious, but staying true to who we are is the more difficult choice. So how do we make those decisions? And the question is, how do we stay true to who we are, and if we want to be people who obey God, it's easy to say so in principle, right? We want to 
be people who are obedient to God, it's a little harder to do it in practice, especially when you're faced with those day-to-day decisions. So the person who's going to help us in that journey along the way is Moses today. As Ben mentioned, uh, we're beginning our series on the book of Exodus, on the story of Moses. It's a five-week series, I understand Ben, right Ben, uh, that that leads up to Advent. And today we're going to be looking at the story of the birth of Moses and the circumstances of his birth and the things that lead up to a critical moment in his life where he has to make a critical decision. So if you could turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 today. And before we have it read, I want to give you some context because uh, in Exodus chapter 1, we see the story of the Israelites coming to Egypt. And they grew and they multiplied and so much so they became a threat to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh began oppressing them. He forced them into hard labor. He created miserable conditions for them. But they kept growing and they kept multiplying. So he went in even further. And he ordered the Egyptian midwives who were helping the Hebrew mothers give birth, he ordered them to kill the Hebrew male babies. And then after that, he ordered his entire people to throw those babies into the Nile. And that is the the serious and the terrible situation that we are in as Exodus 2 begins. And let's hear that passage. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the river. Verse 11, I want to mention, goes on to say, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this truth. We pray right now that you open our hearts, that you enlighten our hearts, and that you fill our minds with your truth so that it convicts us, that it changes us, and that it shows to us, it reveals to us how to better obey you, how to stay true to who we are now as God's people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, sometimes people can think of the Old Testament as almost a different Bible from the New Testament, but they actually are two parts of a whole. The Old Testament unfolds into the New Testament. The New Testament fulfills what's in the Old Testament, and the New Testament lays out the character and the principles of what it means to be Christians, what it means to be followers of Jesus. And the Old Testament, like this story, provides these vivid illustrations 
of what that looks like and what that means. And here we see in the story, Moses and, and the women around him show us the secret, the secret of what it means to obey God and to follow God. So we have the story of Moses and the story of his birth and this critical moment in his life. It's a moment where he has to decide who he is, you know, who he belongs to, what's most important to him, who he is loyal to, because he's born into two worlds. He's born into the world of his people, the Hebrew people, where he spends the first few years of his life, but he's also born into the world of Egypt because Pharaoh's daughter adopts him. So he spends his later childhood in that life. So he's born both into a world of oppression and slavery and into a world of power and privilege. So he's faced with that choice. And, you know, most of you know the choice that he does make. I'm guessing most of you have seen the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston as Moses, classic movie. Millennials, if you haven't seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, you should see the movie. 1956, the special effects are not good. Millennial that saw The Ten Commandments, Ben, is that you? All right. No CGI, but a great, great story. Classic. So he chooses to be with his people. He chooses to obey God. And he shows us the secret of what that looks like, what it means, and how we do stay on that path to obey God. And it involves three things. The secret involves three things. It has to do with what we see, what we love, and who we trust. What we see, what we love, and who we trust. And to give us further insight into those three things, let's look at another passage from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 27 which expounds on this particular story of Moses and his birth and those first few years and journeys of his life. Hebrews 11, 23 through 27. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking onward, looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Notice this passage keeps talking about faith. So let's look at how faith is defined at the beginning of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Moses had faith in what he did not see. Moses had faith in the invisible. Moses chose to see the invisible. He saw the invisible. Now, that may seem like a contradiction. You know, we have atheists like Bill Maher say, his faith is in science. His faith is in things that we can see. But we know that science has proven that there are millions, in fact, billions of things that we can't see. We have microbes and bacteria and viruses that we can't see. There are billions 
of stars in the galaxy that we can't see with the naked eye. We also can't see people's thoughts. I can't see what you're thinking right now. Often we can't see people's emotions, but we say things like, I know what you're thinking, or I know how that feels. We do that because we see the invisible, and we choose to see the invisible. And Moses saw the invisible, and he chose the invisible over the visible, because the visible is right there before him. He had the treasures of Egypt right at his fingertips, and money, and sex, and power, and yet he chose the invisible over the visible. He chose God. And you see the women in this story, the Egyptian midwives, that's what they did too, because Pharaoh had ordered them to kill the Hebrew male babies, but they made up an excuse instead. They said, well, the Hebrew women, they're vigorous. They give birth before we can get there. And they said that, despite a great risk to themselves by telling that story, they said that because they feared God. They said that because they chose God and they chose the invisible over the visible. And when we do that, when any of us do that, when we make choices that sometimes come at great risk to us, that sometimes are not convenient, that sometimes come at great cost, but in our hearts we know it's the right thing to do, we are choosing the invisible. We are choosing the invisible over the visible. I want to show you a picture of Miriam Ibrahim. She is a Christian from Sudan. Some of you may have heard her story. Um, in Sudan, Christians face significant uh, prosecution. She was arrested in 2014 simply for being a Christian because uh, the Islamic law said that you had to follow the faith of your father. And she was charged with adultery for marrying a Christian man. She, in fact, gave birth in prison with her legs in chains. She was sentenced to death. She had three days to renounce her faith and declare that she was going to convert to Islam and follow her father's faith, but she refused. She said, I am a Christian, have been, and always will be a Christian. Thankfully, uh, she was released with the help of American authorities, but she was willing to go to her death because she had chosen the invisible. By choosing the invisible, by choosing God, by choosing to obey God, that affected her heart. That affected what she loved because Miriam didn't love the things of this world. She actually loved the imperishable. She loved the imperishable. What does it mean? What does it mean to love the imperishable? What does it mean to love the things that do not perish? Let's go back to that Hebrews 11 passage in verses 25 and 26. Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Again, Moses, the treasures of Egypt, right in front of him, ready to grab money, sex, power, wealth. Instead, he chose the imperishable because those things perish. He chose the imperishable, even if it meant mistreatment, even if it meant suffering, 
because he saw the imperishable as more valuable. Now, how many of us uh, stocked up a little bit on food at the very beginning of the pandemic, maybe like a year and a half or so ago? I know I did. (laughs) And what did we stock up on? The non-perishable stuff, right? Like the beans and the canned fruit and the canned vegetables and soups and and those kind of things. Um, I remember being really distressed because I went into a grocery store and I couldn't find any rice. And as an Asian person, that's really disconcerting if you can't find any rice because it's a staple if you grow up eating Asian food. Um, my Latino friends tell me, for them, that's, that's tortillas, that you've got to have tortillas practically with every meal. I don't know what it is for the English, Ben. Is it scones? Um, <laughs> scones, sorry. It's a little more highbrow, which, which, you know, which makes sense. Um, But the point is we stocked up on things that are longer lasting. We stocked up on non-perishable things. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to turn our attention and our affection to the imperishable. In fact, he wants us to love the imperishable because when we love the imperishable, that's how we become people who are longer lasting. That's how we become people who are durable. And that's how we become people who endure. And who doesn't want to become a person who endures? The word endure is often used in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 talks about how Christians endure the loss of their possessions simply by living out their faith. Hebrews 12 talks about how Jesus endured opposition and endured the cross because of what he believed. And the Greek word for endure in these passages is hupomeno. And hupo in English means hyper. And meno in English means to stand or to stay. So hupomeno means, means to hyperstand or to hyperstay. And what that means is the ability to stand firm, to stand your ground, no matter the circumstances, no matter what life throws your way, no matter how hard things get. No matter how hard the suffering is, no matter how hard the pain is, you hyperstand. It means really to hang in there. That's endurance, right? That's what it means to be durable. And to be durable means we have to love the imperishable. But our society doesn't teach us to love the imperishable. Our society teaches us to love the disposable. And we live in a throwaway society. Throw away things, throw away people, throw away relationships. And we get taught by our culture that if things get uncomfortable, if we get bored, if we're less interested, if we don't love it anymore, then we just throw it away and we bail. That makes it hard to stick, right? That makes it hard to, to hyperstand. That makes it hard to hang in there for that long-term payoff. And that's what Moses did, though. Moses was looking forward to that long-term payoff. It says that Moses was looking forward to his reward. And that's why he was sticking with God. That's why he endured. It is that process itself of sticking, of enduring, that turns us into a durable people. God wants us to be a durable people. 
But I love the way Tim Keller puts this. I'm always calling Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller says, we are only as durable as that which we love most. We are only as durable as that which we love most. So if what you love most is your job or your career, you will only last as long as it, your job or career. If what you love most are your looks or your money, you will only last as long as that. If what you love most are your things and your possessions, you will only last as long as those things. If what you love most is your sports team or your political party or your ideological tribe, you will last about as long as they win, right? But if you love God most, you will last forever. If you love the things of God most, if you choose the things of God, you are loving the imperishable. And by coming here today, you're choosing the imperishable. By going to kingdom come, you are choosing the imperishable. By helping out of V-Kids, by volunteering, by helping the homeless and the poorest and the least among us, you are choosing the imperishable. And choosing the imperishable will make you durable. It also reveals who you trust the most, and who you trust the most matters. We know that trust and faith, they go together. So let's look at this acronym for the word faith and how trust and faith are linked. Feeling afraid, I trust him. What a great definition of faith. Feeling afraid, I trust him. Moses, in this story, was clearly afraid. He was afraid of the Egyptians. He was afraid of the Hebrews. Uh, after killing the Egyptian, because he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he rashly, impulsively uh, killed the Egyptian, he then tried to break up a fight between two Hebrews, and one of the Hebrews said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So his own people were turning on him. His own people were afraid of him, and he was afraid of them. So he wound up being rejected by both peoples. He fled into the wilderness. He wound up being in the wilderness for decades. He became a shepherd. It looked like his life was turning into a disaster. But he continues to obey God. And he trusts God. Because he knows that whatever he's going through, whatever terrible circumstances, whatever desert he happens to be traveling through, that God will eventually turn things for his good, for his benefit. No matter how bleak things looked at the moment, no matter how appealing going against God may have looked at any particular moment. And that's what Romans 8.28 is all about, right? Romans 8.28, we know in all things God works for those who love him. And that means that God uses everything. God uses everything, both bad and good both the good moments in your life and the terrible moments in your life. God doesn't make those terrible things happen, but he will, he will use them. He will use them for his glory, for his purposes, and for our good. Now, when you look at the confluence events in Exodus, and you look at, at this passage, the first passage in Exodus 2, you see how that unfolds, because 
If Pharaoh hadn't ordered the babies to be killed, Moses' mother would not have put him into the river for safety. If that hadn't happened, Pharaoh's daughter wouldn't have found him. If it hadn't happened, Moses' sister wouldn't have worked it so that his own mother wound up nursing him and taking care of him in the early years of his life. And if all those things hadn't happened, Moses wouldn't have been a person of two people. He wouldn't have, in his early years, learned what it was like to be a Hebrew person and what it was like to be enslaved. And also, if he hadn't been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he wouldn't have learned from the Egyptians, learning leadership skills and training. And both of those things were needed for him to eventually be the leader of his own people. And he also needed to be humbled. And he got humbled after he made that mistake of of killing the Egyptian. Uh, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He had to flee to the desert. He was exiled. He was banished. But that time humbled him. He grew and he matured. And God grew him and matured him until it was the right time for God to call him to lead his people. That is Romans 8.28. That is God using all things, working all things for the good of those who trust him, for the good of those who love him. Vintage Church is a community that, you know, I had been looking for my entire life, but it came relatively uh, late in life. And, and sometimes I look back and I think, Lord, it would have been great <laughs> if I had vintage, like in my 20s or something, or even in my 30s. But then I, when I look back at the course of my life and, and the mistakes I made and the really stupid things I did, I see how God used all of it. In fact, it was a heartbreak that actually brought me to Vintage. I was seeing someone and right before she broke up with me, she said, oh, this is this church plant uh, I heard about called Vintage. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whatever. When are we gonna get married? Uh, and I just wound up going to Vintage for the very first time uh, with a broken heart and, and meeting with Gary Jones, the senior pastor, and just like, ah. and it just coincided with the time that I finally, finally surrendered my entire life to the Lord, and, you know, it's just been an incredible journey since, and God weaved that all together. And as we uh, ask the worship team back up, I, I just want to Use that and and the story of Moses as an encouragement that if you are going through pain and suffering, if you are going through those rough patches of life, those challenging relationships, keep trusting him. Stay true. Stay who you are because God will use that, and God will weave it uh, into something beautiful. And know that he has a special heart for the rejected. Moses was rejected by two peoples, and Moses was, as we know, the forerunner to the Son of God who would save humanity. And Jesus was rejected more than anybody else has been rejected. He was rejected, he was spat on, he was beaten. 
and he was crucified. And his rejection turned into the greatest victory in the history of the world. And it's because he saw the invisible, he loved the imperishable, and because he trusted his father, he accomplished the impossible.